I want to read uh, a scripture that I didn't give to Joy to put on the screen, but it's okay. I thought of this scripture as we were singing. And then we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. But I want to read to you from uh, Hebrews chapter 4. And the writer of Hebrews um, penned this in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And I thought about that. It, it's interesting. Obviously, the writer of Hebrews there is talk, he's talking about the word of God. And then he goes and he uses the personal pronoun, uh, he. Uh, and there is no creature or his sight. There is no creature hidden from his sight. So this is what we understand about the word. And this is why I wanted to read the scripture. The word of God is this. It is the written or as uh, it's called in the Greek, the logos. It's the written word. It's the recorded word. But the word of God is more than just a book. Jesus is called the Word made flesh that dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God, the Father, spoke. God spoke in the beginning, let there be light, and there was light. That Word is real. God also sent His Son, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is real. And God, through human flesh, inspired this word to be written and recorded for us. This word is real. It's God's word. It's the written record that he has given to us. For what purpose? To reveal the living word to us. On the pages of this book we call the Bible, but more importantly, that the living word, Jesus Christ, would be revealed in our hearts. So now let's go over to Genesis chapter 3. So the title of my message today is The Lie, the War, and the Truth. This is a Mother's Day message. So moms, this is for you. I came home last night and I told my wife, I said, babe, I got you the most awesome Mother's Day present. So I would wait till tomorrow, but I've got to tell you now because I'm so excited. Do you know what I got her? I got her Eve's necklace. Eve's necklace. I said, I got you Eve's necklace. She didn't really fall for it. She didn't know what I was talking about. But she knew it wasn't a piece of jewelry Eve wore. <laughs> It's a tree, Eve's necklace. It's a native tree. It's a flowering, ornamental tree. But I thought that was kind of neat. Hey, I got you Eve's necklace for Mother's Day. She didn't think it was so funny. But she appreciated the tree. All right, so I don't know why I said that. Oh, I don't know why on earth I even said that. 
Uh, what was my point? I had a point. See, I got lost in the moment there. Huh? Well, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't about trees of the garden. But anyways. Oh, it's a Mother's Day message. The point is, I didn't get you all uh, Eve's necklace. I didn't, I, I didn't get you a trinket today. But what I do have for you, what I am going to give you today is the truth. And there's nothing more important for us to receive than the truth. There's nothing more important for us to possess than the truth. Because my tree that I plant will die. The jewelry you wear will pass away. All of those things will, will go. But the truth, the word of God remains forever. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall never pass away. I want you to believe that. I want you to get that deep down in your soul and in your spirit and never, ever, ever let go of it because there is a war raging today that wants you to let go of that, that wants you to discard that away. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, the lie, the war, and the truth. So the battle lines are drawn, the war is raging, and the saints of God are standing. Or are they sliding? That's a question. And we see some standing and we see some sliding. So let me read to you Genesis chapter 3. Let's go back to the source. Genesis 3, verse 1. God has created Adam. He has created Eve from the side, from the rib of Adam. They are now both in the garden. We'll pick up the story there. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden. But of the tree of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want you to underline that section in verse 5, when the serpent says to Eve, you will be like God. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Notice that the Bible says it gives us the location of Adam. Adam was not miles away working in the garden. Adam was right with her. And she took the fruit and she gave it to Adam who was with her and he ate. So they both ate. And you probably know the rest of the story. They fell from grace. They died spiritually, became separated from God. And this is the state of man to this day in his first birth, in his unredeemed, unregenerate state. Now, hold your place there and let's go over to... Ephesians chapter 6. So this is where the war begins for humanity. We see it right there in the garden. We come over here to 
uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6. I don't have time to do this, but understand that these, these verses weren't delivered in small chunks like refrigerator magnets or bumper stickers or T-shirt logos. These were delivered as one letter. So the letter to the Ephesians is one letter written, and those churches would read them as such. And I'm going to read to you starting in verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. But to, to really understand all of this, you need, to, you need to understand all the rest that came before it. When Paul tells the believers, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Or when he says, um, uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For, Christ, for, for he is the head of the body, as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her. Children, obey your parents. Bond servants, be obedient to your masters. We don't like these in our culture today. This is part of the kickback I'm going to talk to you about. Because people read these verses and say, this isn't relevant today. Uh, see, the Bible is, is not inspired and without error because the Bible actually promoted slavery. And we all know that slavery is evil. So God didn't write the Bible and make it a without error record. He inspired men to write it, but not in the way you think. This is what the critics tell us today. Because we're afraid to accept God as who he is. And this is what I'm going to challenge you with today. That you accept God who the scripture presents him to be. And stop trying to make God in your own image. Because you don't have the power or the authority in any way, shape, or form to do that. So we get to then, Paul writes about all of this. And he gets down to verse 10. And he says, and finally, brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. Paul was not unaware of the wiles of the devil we see recorded in the Garden of Eden. And Paul understands, as we should today, that the tactics of the enemy has not changed. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which is, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to the sin with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You notice the only the only offensive weapon by design is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You, 
You notice the shield of faith to do what? To quench the fiery darts of the enemy. He tells us believers right here on planet earth to put on the armor of God. Now this isn't some mystical magical armor that you get up every day and say some uh, incantation and poof, you suddenly you're clothed in armor. No, please don't do that. What you, what you are, what, what's implied here and what's understood here is that we live knowing if we live in faith, trusting in Jesus, trusting that this is indeed the word of God recorded for us and inspired by God to give us an accurate and true record of who God is, that we can base our life on this word and on the savior that this word reveals. And we don't have to try to, to, to make God someone else that he's not to appease the world that we're living in today because men don't want to accept God as he is. We want to create God in our own image. Listen, we don't fashion wooden totem poles anymore for the most part here in the Western world that we live in because we're much more modern and, and, and advanced and sophisticated than that. So we don't carve gods out of woods and worship them. We carve up God in our mind and in our heart and we create vain imaginations of who he is and who we want him to be and that's who we worship. But let me tell you, that idolatry is just as real and just as dangerous, if not more, than the people who are in the jungle somewhere bound down in front of a piece of wood with a carved face on it. There is absolutely no difference except that we have the real word of God and many of them don't. And in some sense, they have a much greater excuse than we do because we have taken the very word of God and we have changed it to create an idol and an image that serves us instead of us serving the creator. So the battle lines have been drawn. So the echoes of our cultural slide downward continue to be heard in too much of the church as a result of errors that have long been embraced, not only in our secular culture, but, but in the church. The origin of those errors is a rejection of God's truth as revealed to us in his word, both written and living. And many continue to believe the lies of the serpent. This is not anything new. This is as old as creation itself. The rejection of God's truth is rooted firmly in unbelief and is most often justified as an attempt to accommodate modern sensibilities. What's a modern sensibility? Here's an example. All modern sensibility informs us that there is nothing wrong with homosexuality or blending or abolishing gender roles. All modern sensibility informs us that evolution is not a theory, but a scientific fact that renders creationism a fairy tale for the scared and the simple-minded. Modern sensibility informs us that the Bible is a collection of stories that were written to help us in our spiritual evolution. The old understanding that is revealed in the old writings simply marks the progress of our spiritual evolution today. They're certainly not to be taken as fact or truth or inerrant because we know that they were written by primitive men who had great misunderstandings of who God really was. That's what we call 
modern sensibility. That's what the world wants you to embrace. God is telling you to reject it out of hand and not only reject it, but to stand against it, to oppose it steadfastly, to fight it and to defeat it first in your own heart and in your own mind. And from there in the culture all around us. In other words, the fossil record of the Bible shows that there was a time when man's understanding of God was primitive at best. But as we are evolving, the biblical record marks our spiritual evolution. In fact, according to some theologians today, that is exactly what God intended. And that is how they define the Bible as inspired. The Bible is an imperfect record inspired to mark our progress. So the Bible is viewed as the product of spiritually primitive men, and we are to use their primitive beliefs and errors as a benchmark to evolve from. These false teachers would say that the Bible is not to be understood as a record that governs us, but a record that reveals our evolution toward enlightenment. And that is exactly the lie the serpent in the garden told to Eve. So in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, what we just read, it reveals to us that the serpent told Eve to ignore God's word and to reach out and take the enlightenment in the fruit that God has forbidden. With the knowledge of good and evil, this is what the serpent is telling Eve. With the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God himself. You will have evolved into something higher and more enlightened. The lie of the serpent warns that to obey God is to be stuck where you are. This is exactly what the women, the, the culture is telling women today. It's exactly what the culture is telling men today. Men who, for some reason, want to be a woman... God says, I made you a man. Trust in my grace to deal with your struggles. The culture says, obey God and you're going to stay stuck where you are. Reach for the enlightenment and you can be whatever you want to be. So this disobedience means evolution to a higher knowledge of God. Versus being stuck where you are. The enemy paints a twisted picture of becoming like God through unbelief and disobedience. Do you see that in Genesis? The serpent is telling Eve to disobey God so that you can actually evolve spiritually. This is exactly what the lie is being promoted today. Disobey God. Disavow. Discard. Don't pay attention to what the Bible says because it's primitive and written by a bunch of cavemen. Disobey that. Look away from that and do what you know is right in your own heart. Through unbelief and disobedience, we become like God or we can ignore God or we can obey God and we can be faithful to what God has told us and stay stuck where we are. You can ignore God and become like him or you can obey God and remain as you are. This is the lie that is proliferated throughout our culture today. 
So the good news is this, that the enemy did there and he always overplays his hand. So the enemy overplayed his hand and he did so to his ultimate demise in the death and the resurrection of Christ. Only God knew that then. In the garden when Adam and Eve fell, God knew exactly what his plan and purpose was. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. What seemed so horrible and tragic, God actually worked together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because the enemy always overplays his hand. Only God knew that then, but has now made it known to the world. This is the gospel. And Eve and Adam rebelled in doubt and unbelief, seeking what they thought they needed. And so we continue, and so we continue to see the same pattern in humanity. Why does history repeat itself? Because human nature doesn't change until it's born again. With every natural birth, there is the, the continuation of this sin nature. With every new birth, that sin nature is broken, and man is made a new creation. And this is why we see this pattern of sinfulness in humanity today. The same sinful pattern continues to reveal our need for the gospel's power. So let's talk about evolution and creation for just a moment. This really is a Mother's Day present I'm, uh, a message I'm getting there. So our culture's embrace of evolution as a scientific fact is part of the lie that flies directly in the face of God's word as, a, as recorded for us in the scripture. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Or to quote the very first of, of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What you believe about that will greatly affect what you believe about the rest of the Bible. This is why it's so important. This is why God put Genesis, the beginnings, at the beginning. Because what you believe about the beginning is going to ultimately have an impact on what you believe about everything else. So the culture's embrace of evolution is part of the lie that flies directly in the face of God's word recorded in the scripture. Though more accurately stated, it's not the embrace of evolution as the record of origins, but the rejection of God's word as the origin and record of truth that continues to be the problem. Embracing evolution is a symptom of a deeper problem. The problem is we don't trust God and his word. We don't trust that God's word is the record and the origin of truth. There is a war being waged today that is trying to make us believe that the Bible is nothing more than a slowly evolving human understanding of God. The problem with that view is that it places man in authority over the Bible instead of placing man under the Bible's authority. The key word is evolution. Generally accepted by many today in and out of the church is a belief that we are products of evolution instead of creation. And if we evolved, then our evolution cannot be limited to biology, but must include our spirituality. You see how evolution has, has gone from biology and now it's entered the spiritual conversation. It doesn't take long. You, you can read it all over the place, inside the church, outside the church. Spiritual evolution. 
this demand that man must spiritually involve, we've got to get over our obsession with these things that we should not be afraid of. If men want to be women, let them be women. It should be legal, it should be right, and God has put a stamp of approval on it. If women want to be men, it's legal, it should be right, and God has put a stamp of approval on it. If men want to lay with men, and if women want to lay with women, and if we want to call marriage anything we want to call it, we should be able to do that. And God will put his stamp of approval on it. And if you don't believe that, and if you kick against that, then you are small-minded, bigoted, and dangerous. I'm not making all these things up. Those are things that people are really saying today about people like me, and hopefully people like you who believe God's word. So we see that this belief in evolution has far-reaching effects in all areas of our life and culture. We cannot embrace the lie in one area and expect that it will not spread to other areas. This is exactly what has happened because the lie was never ultimately about the origin of species, but always about faith and trust in God and God's word. Do you really believe you will not die? you really believe that's a sin? That's not a sin. The, the real sinners are those people that won't bake the cake, who won't deliver the flowers, who won't stop calling what is not a sin, a sin. It's okay to believe in God, but don't be so small-minded to think that this Bible is God's inerrant word. That's ridiculous. All of those things are people who profess to be Christians are saying today. We profess to be Christians. What do we do with that? Where do we take a stand? Do we let that go? Do we let that stand unopposed? No, the Bible says you do not let that stand unopposed. If I let you believe that, I wouldn't be a very good pastor. I wouldn't be a very good shepherd. If I let that go unopposed, I would not be a very good pastor at all. I would not really love you. Because I see people all the time who are falling for this. And what we don't understand is the enemy doesn't just kick the door wide open and break the walls down. He just gets a little crack there. And it's so subtle and it's so, he's so patient the way he works. We're like the frog in the pot of water that's been boiling. And we don't even know we're cooked. Well, some have jumped out of the pot and said, nah, I'm not only coming out of the pot, but I'm going to pull others out of the pot with me. And I'm going to tell you that you are being cooked. So the talk of our spiritual evolution is everywhere today. It's inside the church and outside the church. Our spiritual evolution seems to have come down to this, calling evil good and good evil. That is exactly what the serpent wanted in the beginning. Today, if we stand with the word of God in opposition to the culture and believe in creation or actually think that homosexuality is a sin, we will be reminded that any thinking person should know how primitive such beliefs are. Any thinking person should know that God is bigger than that, right? Wrong. This is exactly how the enemy continues to twist the truth to make it seem ridiculous and unreasonable by the world standard. 
But as followers of Christ, it's not the standard of the world that we are to be living by. It is the standard of the kingdom of God that we are called to live by. God not only sets the standard, he is the standard. And he, his standard is met only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we do not evolve, but we must be born again. So the Bible is the written record of God's word preserved for us in order to make known to us Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that God takes his written and spoken word and reveals in the hearts of men the living word, Jesus Christ, that is not a picture of evolution. That is a picture of birth. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is a birth produced by the creator that results in a new creation, growing and maturing and coming to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. In referring to our spiritual growth, the Bible does not use the word evolution. It does not intimate about evolution. It uses the word maturity. People in the Bible are never seen to be evolving spiritually. They are seen to seen and referred to as growing and maturing spiritually. It's the picture of a child. So Paul writes this in Ephesians 4 verses um, 14 and 15, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head Christ or in 1 Corinthians 13 11, when he says he writes when I was a child I spoke as a child I understood as a child I thought as a child but when I became a man I put away childish things you see the Bible and the biblical theme is not evolution, but growth and maturity. God does not call us or cause us to evolve, but to be born again. God calls us to birth, to grow, and to mature. And we are called to grow up in all things in him who is the head, that is Christ. So professed non-evangelicals also tell us that the Bible is not a blueprint to live by, but a conversation piece to create discussion that promotes our spiritual evolution. That really sounds kind of innocuous and, un, and, and not very harmful, unless you really understand why they're using the language that they're using. A belief not uncommon among too many theologians today is that the Bible is a collection of stories showing us how we are to evolve and what we are to evolve from and to. For example, we should no longer be wife-beating, women-raping, homosexual-hating men of God, or husband-submitting, man-pleasing, and domestically enslaved women of God. And I would say rightfully so. We should be none of those, because that is not what God's Word calls us to be, though some think that's exactly what it calls us to be if we follow it. In an attempt to satisfy modern sensibilities, faithful Bible-believing Christians are accused of being a people fighting to cling to old, outdated beliefs that keep women enslaved and hate for homosexuals and destruction of the earth, centerpieces of our faith and belief. It sounds silly, but that is exactly what a whole movement who call themselves Christian believes about those who desire to live under the authority of God's word.
The pressure to compromise is mounting from all sides. Believing the Bible, obeying the Bible, and trusting in the Jesus of the Bible are seen by many today as dangerous to our culture and to the evolution of humanity. As followers of Christ who embrace the truth of God as revealed to us in the Scripture and by His Holy Spirit, we must pray and fight to see men come to the true faith in Christ. We must pray and fight to see men be born again. And until the hearts of men are changed through the power and the grace of the new birth, until men become new creations, they will continue to follow the lie and all of its web of deceit, thinking that they are on a road to higher knowledge, to higher enlightenment, and to higher life. But in the end, it will only lead to greater death and greater destruction. And this is what is taking place all around us in our culture So we come now to talk specifically about women who are under attack in our culture. Women in particular continue to be under attack, just like in the beginning. Though the attack is disguised as an attempt to liberate and to promote women to a place of equality with men, it is a strategy of the enemy to destroy God's purpose and to deface his glory. Equality is the battle cry. Equality in every way possible. In the garden, it was equality with God. In today's culture, the lie is still the same, but the battle lines are drawn in different places to deceive us into thinking that there's a different purpose. Today, we're told that women deserve equality. Like all lies, they are filled with truth, but laced with the poison that will ultimately destroy us. The enemy knows exactly how to lace the truth with a lie that will kill us. He did it very well in the garden. And we're told to embrace the parts of God's word that are true and to evolve beyond those parts that are hurtful and harmful today. The lie is that we have evolved culturally and so we must evolve spiritually We cannot cling to those primitive misunderstandings recorded in the Bible by men who had not fully evolved yet. So in the name of progress, we are actually bringing destruction upon our own heads. And I believe the greatest example that we see of that in America and in the world, perhaps, is abortion. Women are liberated. They do not have to have babies. They do not have to become mothers. Women today have the right and the power to choose whether they will be mothers or not, whether they will have babies, whether they will marry, whether they will even be women. That is evolution. That is called progress. That is freedom. That, in reality, is over 40 million lives murdered in America alone. And that is bringing destruction upon our own heads in the name of cultural and spiritual evolution. And we are so blind to that that we can't see it. And the enemy is content to let some in the church oppose abortion while we say, oh, I know abortion's wrong because that's murder. But you know this thing about gays being married and redefining marriage. I don't really see the harm in that. I think we should embrace that. And if you think that the enemy doesn't mean for that lie to bring just as great or greater destruction to the family than he has with abortion, 
then you are already deceived. In today's culture, the language the Bible uses in reference to women is offensive to many inside and outside the church. Let's look at some of the things the Bible teaches women from Titus 2, 3 through 5. Women, that means this include wives and mothers, are to be reverent in behavior. They're to show deep and solemn respect. They're not to be slanderers, not gossips or busybodies or anything else lending itself to slander. They're not to be given to much wine. Don't be drunkards. These things go for men too, by the way, in case you guys are wondering, okay? Except this one, to love your husbands. <laughs> men, you're to love your wives. <laughs> Though some would say it applies to love their husbands. Women, love and respect your husbands. To love their children. You would think that we would not have to teach mothers to love their children, but when you see the scourge of abortion that has decimated our landscape since 1972. Do you wonder why the Bible says to the older women to admonish the younger women to love their children? That's not just post-womb, that's pre-womb. We see what has happened in our culture And in our families, because of this, commands women to be discreet, careful with one's speech and actions, to be chaste, abstaining from extramarital sexual relations. Do you know how common? Do you know that that's not even, that is so common in our culture, it's not even, it's not even considered a sin. Premarital sex is just, I mean, The number of people who just don't even think there's a problem with that is staggering. I do premarital counseling through the state of Texas. I do it free because I want people to come, because I want to give people the gospel. The most, most of the people I do premarital counseling with don't go, to, don't, don't go to any church. They just come to me because they want to get a discount on their marriage license. And the overwhelming majority of them are already living together, already having sex together, and they just, it's not a problem. And when we begin to talk about these things from the scripture, you can just see, oh. And the attitudes and the things that, that they've just assumed were okay. It's really like a revelation to them. You see how the conscience of our culture has become so seared. To be homemakers, that means making a home, cooking, cleaning, and all the other things associated with homemaking. That's not a curse, women. Guys, this isn't giving you license to abuse your wives. Though my wife thinks that I should be a whole lot better, and I will confess I should be a whole lot better in helping her and not leaving the lion's share of these things to her doesn't mean we don't have struggles it doesn't mean we don't you know we're, we're working to try to to do better but do we recognize that it's a blessing that God has called you to be a homemaker to make a home you're called to be good to not be evil or malicious or of wicked intention 
You're called to be obedient to your own husbands. That's just like blasphemy to the culture today. To be submissive to your own husbands, as Paul writes in Ephesians 5.22. These things are seen as bondage, enslavement to women. These are old, primitive ideas that we've got to let go of. So go ahead and take the scissors and cut that out of your Bible. Or do we say, how do we understand this? How do we... How do we look at this? How do we hold this in the right tension and see this as a blessing, not as a curse? Do all these things, Paul writes, that the word of God is not blasphemed. Do these things for the glory of God. Do these things that the word of God is not blasphemed. Guess what's happening today? The word of God is being blasphemed today. And women have been put right at the center of that so that the word can be blasphemed. Homosexuality is now put right at the center of that so the word can be blasphemed. Abortion, that's, that's already, you know, so entrenched in our society. A lot of people don't even think about that anymore. Out of sight, out of mind. I don't see those babies pulled apart from the womb. And I don't look at the pictures of the aftermath either. I think that's cruel and unusual. We shouldn't post things like that. Really? We resist the attack and we fight back for the glory of God. The God's glory, this is why we do all things. The serpent-driven culture, just like in the garden, seduces women and us all to seek and take control for ourselves, for our own good, to achieve a higher place with a deeper enlightenment, to be like God. In fact, to be our own gods and control our own destiny. Many would never be so blatant in their description of what they are doing, but neither was Eve and neither was Adam in the garden. But God tells us exactly what they were doing. We must oppose the attack. We must fight back against the onslaught of biblical compromise that is invading the culture and the church. That opposition and that fight must be waged simultaneously in the family and in the church. We have willfully forgotten that the greatest call a woman has is in the family and in the home and not outside. That's not to say a woman can't work outside, can't do things. I'm saying the greatest call a woman has is in her family and in her home to be a mother, to be a wife, and that there's nothing wrong with that. That's not to be ashamed of in any way, shape, or form, even though the culture wants you to be ashamed of that. And is appalled that I would even speak that from the pulpit this morning. We have willfully forgotten that the greatest call of a woman is in the family and in the home. And because of that willful forgetting, many took on these scriptures or they look on these scriptures and see women under bondage and opportunities for equality lost. Some are convinced those verses were written by men who only wanted to keep women in bondage and that we are to evolve spiritually beyond those outdated understandings. God created gender for his glory and man is destroying it for his own end. 
One of the main strategies of the enemy is to destroy gender and gender roles. There is a belief and a concerted effort to destroy the gender roles assigned to men and to women by God. The culture has been attacking that for many decades, and that has led us to abolishing gender roles, not only in the family, but in our sexuality. The product of making men and women equal instead of complementary is the current culture in, in the current culture and, and sexual revolution is bringing destruction to our family and to the very culture that is trying to promote these things. Men and women complement each other not only in the family and in the culture, but biologically and sexually. That is so simple and so obvious you have to miss that on purpose and have another agenda to ignore that. Now we have men, women, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. We have new designations assigned in our culture to reflect our spiritual and our human evolution. We call it tolerance and diversity, but the Bible calls it sin. If we love, we will speak the truth in love. If we love, we will refuse to let even the most confused believe that the lie, believe the lie leads to eternal death. If we Love, we will not let even the most confused believe the lie because that lie is leading them to death, an eternity separated from God. If we love, we will love the sinner and in love tell them the truth, even to their and our own hurt. Most little girls and little boys are no longer taught that God created them to complement those of the opposite sex. Now little girls and little boys are taught that they can be whatever they want. Girls are equal to boys. Boys are equal to girls. Girls can become boys and boys can become girls. We are all equal and we can all do and be what we want because God has created us just as we desire to be. Gender is no longer a barrier to almost anything a person wants to do. And I'm not saying it should be a barrier. I'm saying we should do those things that are consistent with the gender roles that God created. Do you really want a fireman trying to pull you out of a burning building who went to fire academy and they lowered the the uh, requirements so that the woman could become a fireman. But you weigh more than what she was able to pull in her fire academy. And now you're stuck in a burning building and you got a woman there who can't pull you out because she's not strong enough. Does that mean she's bad? No, it means maybe she shouldn't be operating in that role. Because God made her different than a man. God made men on purpose to be stronger than women. But I'll tell you this, women are stronger than men in many ways that man will never be able to achieve. And those differences in strengths complement the genders and they complement men and women. So we glorify God as we celebrate women and wives and mothers and all their distinctness. 
Mothers, do you see the importance of your distinct role? Fathers, do you see the importance of your wife's distinct role as the mother of your children? Fathers, do you see the importance of your distinct role to spiritually lead your family and protect your wife so that she can fulfill her distinct God-given role? Men, do you take your rightful place and make sure the serpent does not get in to deceive and destroy first in your own heart and, and, and then in that of your wife and your children and your family and your culture, I might add, and your church, I might add. Fathers and mothers, do you see the importance of the distinct and complementary roles that God assigned to you when he made you a man or a woman? I pray that you do for the sake of the family, for the sake of the church, for the sake of our culture, but most importantly, for the sake of God's own glory. Women, resist the lie of the serpent and embrace the glory of being a woman created to complement a man, a husband, and a father. Women, God has given you the power to take what a man gives to you and to glorify it. He gives you a seed and you gloriously turning into a living soul. Is that not a miracle? Man gives a woman a seed and she turns it into a living soul. Men, you can't do that. I'm sorry. You cannot do that, try as you might. Only a woman can do that. It is one of the greatest miracles of creation. God didn't make everyone to be able to do that. He only made women to be able to do that. If you don't think women are special and to be honored, then you really don't understand who God is. These people who somehow think the Bible dishonors women have no clue who the God of the Bible truly is. They need to be born again. They don't need to evolve anymore. They just need to flat be born again. Men, honor your wives and mothers and daughters as someone God has made especially for you and for all humanity and for his glory. He made woman to be the vessel through which life would be multiplied. He made women to be the vessel that the son of God would be conceived in and come from into the world. Born to us in the form of human flesh. Born of a virgin to be our only hope in life and death. Woman, listen. Wife, mother, celebrate who God made you to be. Do not let the culture rob you of the glory that God gives to you and entrust to you as a woman. Do not buy the lie that you have to compete to be equal for God never made you to be equal. He made you distinct to complement and complete his created order in humanity. Gender with was created by God and should be celebrated in all of its distinct glory. Never ever be ashamed or belittle because you are a woman or a wife or a mother. Celebrate that gift that God chose to give to you when he made you a woman and celebrate the role he alone has entrusted to you and equip you to walk out and fulfill for his magnificent glory and for your greatest joy. We glorify God as we celebrate women and wives and mothers. There are many women today who became mothers before they became wives. And there are women who live with that shame and that stigma 
But I would encourage women to put their trust in Jesus, that in his forgiveness he knows how to work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God knows how to take our sin and our mistakes and turn them into our good and his glory. Let God use your life story to bring hope and healing and to admonish other women to trust God's plan of creating women to be wives and to be mothers. Admonish them through your own life to be the most passionate disciple of Jesus so that they can be the most faithful and committed women and wives and mothers and find in Christ their greatest joy and their greatest fulfillment in life. We wage war using the truth as our greatest weapon. This is how we wage the war. We teach, we preach, we live and walk out the truth in the most mundane and small details of our life to the most important and great issues of life. We wage war against the lie in our own hearts in our own lives, in our own families, in our church, in our culture, in God's kingdom, for God's glory. We stand, and having done all to stand, we stand therefore in the power of his might. Our battle involves flesh and blood because there's a battle going on inside of you right now. There's a battle going inside of men and women and children all throughout our culture, but our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is powers and principalities. And we pray that our enemies or those who would oppose us, those who would see us as enemies, would be born again, would come to the end of themselves, be gloriously born again so that they do not stand in opposition to God's word, but that they stand in unity with God's people And they stand for God's word and for God's glory and for the God of the Bible, not the God of their imagination. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So I challenge you not to buy the lie that is subtly seducing you every day. Sometimes the seduction is obvious and easy to recognize. Most times the seduction is subtle and very hard to discern because it is often filled with so much truth that the poison is hard to taste. I challenge you to become so familiar with the truth that even the most subtle lie becomes easy to discern. I challenge you to contend for the truth and for the faith in every area of life and to do so for God's glory, even at your own expense and to your own harm. To his own harm and to his own death, Jesus laid down his life for the glory of the Father. But death could not hold him and neither can death hold you. Let's all stand and let us pray. Father, make us faithful. Give us your grace to stand and to discern spiritually the lies of the enemy that are crafted so subtly and so seductively. Father, I pray for our mothers today. I pray for women today, Lord, who are sinned so many mixed messages by our culture. Lord, there's sex and, and the sexual revolution and sexual freedom promoted everywhere. And at the very same time, Lord, we're told that women should not submit to that form of 
of subjection and be objects of men's lust. Lord, the very same culture that seems to be telling us one thing is telling us the exact opposite. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do because the enemy does not care which side of the ditch we fall into. He just wants us to fall in the ditch somewhere. So, Father, we pray that you would give us courage and strength for the battle, even when it may cost us personally. May we never put anyone or anything above you and your glory. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in your church as she stands in the truth. That the bride of Christ would be that glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. And you have given us the promise, Lord Jesus, that you are doing that very thing by the work of your spirit. We invite you, God. We say, do a work in us. Do a work by your spirit. Turn us into that glorious bride that we would be an object and a witness of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.